0: I invite you to turn with me in the scripture to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, and tonight we'll be reading verses 1 through 11, and then we'll be uh, spending our time uh, particularly in verses 5 uh, through 11. Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 11. We've seen uh, that right at the beginning uh, of Jesus'. Uh, public ministry after he uh, receives the uh, uh, equipping of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, uh, the testimony of the Father. Uh, this is his son. His uh, first uh, act of ministry is to be led into the, into the wilderness uh, to be tempted uh, by the evil one. And so we want to pick up that uh, story uh, tonight. So Matthew chapter 4, this is the word of the Lord. and we're ministering to him. Well, this is the word of the Lord, and let's pray, for, let's pray for the Lord's help as we consider these words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come um, to you tonight totally uh, dependent on you and the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord, in order to um, receive what you would have for us in this scripture tonight. And we know that you have told us that, that all scripture is breathed out by you, uh, but Lord, we also know that it's only when your Holy Spirit takes this word uh, and applies it to our heart and mind and breaks through the dullness of our hearing and the uh, slowness of our believing, Lord, that we truly see and receive the truth as it is in Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be gracious tonight. Help the one who, who preaches that he would preach faithfully. Uh, that only uh, what is said that uh, honors your word and is faithful to your word, that that would find a home in our heart and that anything else would fall to the ground. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would see you better tonight in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That as we begin a new week, uh, we would do that going, going forth encouraged and strengthened uh, by the word uh, that we've heard. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in, uh, in a memorable sermon uh, on why Christians should expect trouble and suffering, uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great Baptist preacher of the late 19th century, uh, reminded his congregation uh, of their great enemy. And this is how he put it. Christian, he said to his congregation, turn your eyes downward. Do you know what foes you have beneath your feet? There are hell and its lions against you. You were once a servant of Satan, and no king will willingly lose his subjects. Do you think that Satan is pleased with you? Why, you've changed your country. You were once a servant of Apollyon, but now you are become a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And do you think the devil is pleased with you? I tell you no. If you had seen Satan the moment, said Spurgeon, the moment you were converted, you would have beheld a wondrous scene. As soon as you gave your heart to Christ, Satan spread his bat-like wings, down he flew into hell, and summoning all his counselors, he said, sons of the pit, true heirs of darkness, you who were clad in light but who fell with me from high dignities, another of my servants has forsaken me. I've lost another of my family, he's gone over to the side of the Lord of hosts. O ye my friends, ye fellow helpers of the powers of darkness, leave no stone unturned to destroy him. I bid you all hurl all your fiercest darts at him, plague him, let hell dogs bark at him, let fiends besiege him, give him no rest, harass him to the death, let the fumes of our corrupt and burning lake ever rise in his nostrils, persecute him, the man's a traitor, give him no peace, since I cannot have him here to bind him in chains of adamant, since I ne'er can have him here to torment and afflict him, as long as you can, Till his dying day, I bid you howl at him, until he crosses the river, afflict him, grieve him, torment him, for the wretch has turned against me and become a servant of the Lord. Such, said Spurgeon, such may have been the scene in hell that very day when you did love the Lord. And do you think that Satan loves you any better now? Ah, no, said Spurgeon. He will always be at you uh, for your enemy, like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. Expect trouble, therefore, Christian, when you look beneath you. Well, uh, the, uh, the devil is giving Jesus trouble in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we've seen the ancestry of the king. Jesus, we've seen the names of the king, we've seen the worship of the king, opposition to the king, we've seen the herald of the king, we've seen testimony to the king, and we're now considering the temptation uh, of the king. And last time we saw the tempter came just as he came to Adam and Eve in the garden, and so he comes to the last Adam, Jesus, in the wilderness as he comes to us. And again, the temptation that we saw last week was to doubt God, to doubt his provision and love and care, to listen to the voice of another, take matters into our own hands, strike off on our own. We have a need, we've got the power, just do it. And of course, unlike in the garden, uh, where the devil's crafty lies found a home in the heart of Adam and Eve, Jesus gives the devil a sound rebuke. And so we uh, uh, all uh, stood by and cheered uh, as that happened last week. Man said, Jesus shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth uh, of God. God, and we saw there how wonderfully Jesus helps us understand his, his view of the scripture, of the sufficiency of scripture, the authority of scripture, uh, the word from the mouth of the Father, that's Jesus' food, and if someone says, uh, I love Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, Jesus would say, okay, you live by every word of this book, because this is my food and, and my drink, and if you love me, you will love the word of my Father. So we saw that, and boy, oh boy, if you, as you think about that, how, you know, would the, um, how would the church fare against the temptations of the evil one? How would you and I fare against such temptations if such were the conviction of our hearts, right? That uh, yeah, I don't live uh, by the things that the world offers me, uh, even food, or I don't, I don't live by that. I live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, if the professing church actually believed that and live that, Well, things would look a lot different in whatever country where there is a church. Uh, And so unlike Adam, we saw uh, Jesus was not seduced by the words of Satan, and he had God's word in his heart. He was obedient. He was faithful, uh, unlike Adam in the beginning. But Jesus is the obedient servant of the Lord. Uh, But uh, we know tonight, as we keep reading in this passage, That just because the devil was soundly uh, rebuked by Jesus once, uh, the devil isn't finished uh, with Jesus. Uh, He keeps coming. And if Jesus couldn't be tempted to take matters into his own hands and use his power to serve himself, perhaps Jesus could be tempted to um, seek a special display of the power of God on his behalf. Notice what the Bible says, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So first of all, we want to take a look here at the second temptation of the, the Bible scholar devil. We call him the Bible scholar devil because it's clear the Bible uh, tells us here that here we have a scripture-quoting devil. Here we have a, uh, a Bible, as it were, a Bible memorization devil. Here we have a devil who is presented to us who knows uh, what the Bible says. And the devil comes at Jesus again, tempts him, we're told, to throw himself from the highest point it's called the pinnacle of the temple. So most understand this to be the, the outer wall. of the, Remember, the, the city of J- Jerusalem, the holy city, uh, would have been surrounded by a wall, and, and Herod had built a wall. And so the outer wall, we're, were told by a historian, Josephus, in the or first century, that that outer wall on the east side uh, would be uh, perhaps 400 and 450 feet uh, above the valley, called the Kidron Valley. So that's usually what folks picture as far as the highest point of the temple, the outer wall uh, with a, a plunge into the valley below. And Satan says, uh, as he takes Jesus there, we don't know how he took Jesus there, by the way. You could lose yourself in thinking how that happened, uh, but don't do that. Uh, that's not the point of the passage, but somehow they're there at the temple. And really, he tells uh, Jesus, uh, throw yourself down from this uh, pinnacle, knowing that the Father will protect you anyway, and he uses the Scripture to back it up. And so the devil's again trying to go Jesus, uh, trying to lead Jesus into sin, and notice how he does it. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. So notice, first of all, for the second time, uh, the devil prefaces his temptation with this blasphemous uh, if. Uh, If you are the Son of God... He had said in verse 3, command these stones. If you are the Son of God, verse 6, throw yourself down. And uh, so notice the devil is implying that for Jesus not to do so uh, would be to show a lack of confidence in himself. He's saying if you are who you say you are, surely this is no big deal for you. You can command stones and you can throw yourself headlong from the temple uh, without a care in the world. That is if uh, you are who you say you are. Now, we have to see here, of course, that as this chapter follows right after chapter 3, um, how, what's happening here, the devil is very specifically, as he did in the beginning in the garden, contradicting the testimony of God. Right? At the end of chapter 3, uh, we had read this, And behold, as Jesus is, is baptized by John, as the Holy Spirit descends upon him, verse 17 of chapter 3 said, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is... My beloved son, with whom I am well uh, pleased. But the devil comes along and says, if, if you are the son of God. That's what the devil does. Uh, he contradicts the testimony of God. Uh, in the garden, remember, it was, did God uh, actually say? Um, it's the same tactic here. The devil contradicts God himself. He's very bold, and uh, he challenges the authority of God himself. You'll remember that um, at the cross, as Jesus is on the cross dying for uh, his people, dying for the sins of his people, you remember that uh, the crowd say, if you are the Son of God, come down from there and, uh, and prove it. Remember? That's what they said. If you are the Son of God. It's the same So the devil, you see, he wants uh, you to read the Bible, hear the promises of God, and instead of trust God by faith, he wants you to say, if, Uh, if God is this, then he would this, right? If, he's instead of receiving the truth as it is given to us in Jesus, that he is the Son of God, to be believed and trusted and rested in, uh, the devil always wants us to come with an if. Well, if that's true, then he would and you fill in the blank. But notice also, uh, the devil seems, in this temptation of Jesus, to think that he has some kind of authority in this situation. Did you notice that? Back in verse 3, he was issuing instructions to Jesus. He said, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Here in verse 6, it's the same. Throw yourself down. It's almost as if the devil believes he is the authority figure uh, in this situation. He's the one issuing the commands. Uh, if you're the Son of God, do this. Uh, if you're the Son of God, do this. Um, and don't think we're so far from that, of course. We say, if you are God, then Lord, you need to <laughs> do this. Uh, and we can fall into that same thing. But here's the thing. Let's wait a minute here. Matthew has introduced us to Jesus the King, Jesus the King, who's worthy of the worship Of the nations. Remember, they come from afar to bow before Him. Uh, Matthew has told us that uh, Jesus is the King uh, who will save His people. Matthew is the uh, one who has told us Jesus is the King uh, who is God with us. Jesus is the King before whom the nations are to bow. Jesus is the king being announced by the herald. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven, which is at hand. Jesus is the king, we saw, who identifies himself with his sinful subjects. Jesus is the king, we saw in chapter 3, who is anointed and equipped by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the king, who we saw, who is well-pleasing to his father. All this is true of Jesus the king. And so the gospel of Matthew has introduced us step by step to Jesus as the legitimate one who has authority. And he has the authority to issue commands. There are no ifs or maybes or possibilities about it. He is the king and he is uh, the son of God. But now here we have, of course, uh, the devil who wants to question what God has said. And he wants to. Jesus now, uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, test the Lord uh, by um, doing something he knows that God would not have him to do, but in order to somehow uh, show to the world that he is the Son of God, at the suggestion of the evil one. His name, devil, means accuser, slanderer, uh, adversary. He's called in this uh, chapter 4, verse 3, the tempter. This is who Jesus is dealing with, it's who we deal with as the one who would seek to devour us. Jesus says of him in John 8, he would say this, he was, that is this personages here, this personal spirit, the devil, he was, said Jesus in John 8, a murderer, a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, said Jesus, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. Uh, Just think about that difference. The devil is the father of lies. The Bible talks about the father as the father of mercies in the book of Corinthians. He is the evil one. The Bible describes him as the enemy who sows seeds, sons of the evil one in the world. Luke says of him, the devil, that he takes away seed from the path so that people will not believe and be saved. Uh, that's, That's this one, right? The seed falls upon the path and um, uh, birds of the air come, and Jesus describes that as the devil who, who does not want the word that gives life to lodge in your heart. So it hits your ear. It's taken away. It doesn't go in. Uh, that's his work. We read of the schemes of the devil and opportunities for the devil. We hear of the condemnation of the devil and the snare of the devil, We hear that the devil has been sinning from the beginning. We hear that he prowls around looking for someone to devour. He has children who do not practice righteousness and do not love their brothers. He persecutes believers, has them thrown into prison. Uh, He's filled with great wrath. He's the deceiver of the whole world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the spirit, Ephesians says, that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. But all of this that the Bible says about the devil is not the most important thing about the devil mentioned in the New Testament. So he's all, he is all that. He's real, and he's right here facing Jesus. But all that I just read, uh, shared with you about what the Bible says is not the most important thing you and I need to know about the devil mentioned in the New Testament. And the most important thing in the Bible mentioned about the devil is that he is defeated. John tells us this. The reason Jesus appeared the Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews tells us, "...since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself," that's Jesus, "...likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery." Jesus came, died on the cross to destroy the devil... The Lord told the Apostle Paul that he was sending him as a missionary to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And Paul will say in Colossians that God has made us alive together with Christ, forgiving all our trespasses, canceling the record of debt, he says. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Notice what he says. He disarmed disarmed, took all the weapons out of their hands, disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And, Paul says, he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what do we know then about the devil, who's here trying to question God's authority and to contradict the testimony of God that Jesus is the Son of God and who seems to think he can order the Son of God around. Well, the Bible tells us this, that Jesus came to destroy him, to destroy his works, to rescue those whom he held in slavery, uh, and bring them into the kingdom of God, and he does it through, through the cross, and the devil's disarmed at the cross, and Jesus triumphs at the cross. The fact is that the devil has no authority in this world but a usurped authority. The Bible says he is a rebel and a traitor, and the only authority he has, he's pretending to command Jesus here, but the only authority he has uh, is a pretended authority and an authority that sinful men give him to rule in their lives in opposition to the king. He has no rightful authority at all. 1 John 5.19 says the world lies in the power of the evil one. That is, the world of sin lies in the power of the evil one, but he doesn't have, he doesn't have any rightful rule. He is a, a usurper who lives in opposition to the king, but he pretends to have authority. Jesus is the king, says Matthew. His kingdom is at hand, but here's the thing tonight. There is, there is a shadow kingdom where the usurper pretends to rule, and wield authority. Do you know what a shadow kingdom is? Listen to this from the, uh, the website of the Parliament of the United Kingdom. The shadow cabinet is the team of senior spokespeople chosen by the leader of the opposition to mirror the cabinet in government. Each member of the shadow cabinet is appointed to lead on a specific policy area for their party and to question and challenge their counterpart in the cabinet. In this way, the official opposition seeks to present itself as an alternative government in waiting. It's called the shadow cabinet. So no matter what the government, and and you can relate to this, no matter what the government does, the shadow cabinet opposes it, challenges it. But it sees itself as a uh, alternative government in waiting, just waiting to to take over, kind of like you know Republicans and Democrats. That's how that goes. Doesn't matter what happens, no matter what what decisions made up high, you oppose it, and you are just waiting for your opportunity. Uh, for that's it, you see. That's it. That's what's going on here. The devil uses the Bible. But he uses the Bible for his alternative plans in opposition to the true king and his kingdom. He wants to be king himself. Um, Perhaps the most perverse thing about the temptation, of course, is exactly that, that the devil uses the Lord's own word to try and tempt Jesus to sin. The scripture... Friends, can be twisted for the purposes of sinful men. Have you ever been talking to somebody and maybe you're having a discussion about the Bible or, or the Christian life or something like that, and they, they quote some Bible verse and you think, that doesn't seem right. Um, you know, you're, I don't think you're using that, that text of Scripture properly. I think you, it, seems, it sounds like you're kind of using that to just kind of get your own way. Uh, We can do that. We can use the Bible sinfully for our own wicked purposes, to justify sin sometimes, to avoid obedience to the Lord, and even to hurt others rather than to help. Just remember Job's three friends, remember? there was some good theology along the way, but they used it uh, to hurt, and they misapplied it to the hurting Job. Remember when Peter was uh, describing the writings of Paul, he said this, there are some things in them, in the writings of Paul, see if you can relate, that are hard to understand, hard to understand some things in the Apostle Paul's writings, which, says Peter, the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And, of course, what makes a lie so dangerous is that it always contains a kernel of the truth. And the devil here doesn't appear in a tight red morph suit with a pitchfork in his hand, as he does in movies. That would be too obvious. Uh, The Bible says he appears instead as an angel of light. And don't miss that, friends. Don't miss that. There's a reason that Hollywood wants to portray uh, the devil as, um, as a caricature. And I'm sure the devil loves that too. Because he never appears that way. The Bible says he appears as an angel of light. Here he knows the Bible. And he can quote the Bible. He may know the Bible better than you. But he uses it... Uh, for his own purposes and not for the glory of God. Here the devil leaves out some context. He's quoting actually from Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is uh, where these verses are from. If you have your Bible open, you might be interested to, to check on the devil because you may not want to take his word for it. He does quote these passages pretty much correctly from Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12 as he wants Jesus to test God. Uh, But the opening of Psalm 91 goes like this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, uh, in whom I trust. Hmm. And then the devil actually doesn't quote the rest of, uh, uh, of the passage. He quotes verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 91, but he forgets to quote verse 13, which says this. You will tread on the lion and the adder The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I'll deliver him, I'll protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I'll answer him, I'll be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Uh Uh-oh. The devil might have thought twice about bringing up Psalm 91, which speaks of the serpent being trampled underfoot. Of course, he wasn't concerned about that part. The devil here in this temptation, friends, was tempting Jesus to seek glory without the cross, to uh, seek victory without obedience to the Lord. This is what all these temptations are all about. Uh, He doesn't want Jesus to reign as king. He doesn't want Jesus' kingdom uh, to come. He wants uh, wants worship himself. He wants to be the king himself. He's the leader of this opposition uh, government, this government in waiting. But, of course, Jesus knew the whole psalm. Uh, he knew the, knew the whole Bible, and so he responds uh, again with words from the book of Deuteronomy. All three of his responses come from the book of Deuteronomy, and he says this in verse 7, Jesus said to him in light of all this this attempt, this, this questioning, the authority of God, the testimony of God, uh, Jesus says this, Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, don't test God, don't justify your behavior by saying that God will work it all out in the end. That's what Satan said. Doesn't matter if you do this, God will, God will save you. Don't think about whether or not this is the right thing to do. Just, you know, God is sovereign. He'll, 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 he'll pick you up. He'll not let your foot touch a stone. Jesus says, don't play games with God. Jesus knew, of course, that if indeed he were to throw himself down from the highest point of the temple, God would have protected him. But should he test God is the question. Should he do something... He knew to be wrong, even though he knew God was in control. And Jesus' answer to that, of course, is absolutely not. Should he excuse sin by appealing to the sovereignty of God, as we Reformed folks sometimes do? Absolutely not. Well, after all, God is sovereign. I mean, he wouldn't have put this in front of me unless he wanted me to do it. I guess I better do it and... And he'll, you know, he's sovereign, so he'll, 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 he'll clean up my mess. And, and so I don't need to, w- no, says Jesus, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's for us to obey and be faithful and to trust our future uh, into the hand of God. Wrote William Hendrickson, a well-respected Reformed Bible commentator, he said this, real helpful, he said, daily life, daily life all around us affords abundant illustrations of what he calls false confidence, similar to that which the devil urged Jesus to exercise. A person will earnestly beseech the Lord to bestow upon him the blessing of health. However, uh, he neglects to observe the rules uh, of health. Uh, that, reminds of a, uh, that reminds me of a Christian comedian uh, who pokes fun at this sort of thing. People, for instance, he talks about people eating a bag of Doritos and then, uh, and then asking, uh, asking God to bless this food to our body. And uh, he makes this joke about how, you know, someone will, you know, do that and, and say, Lord, you know, please, please transform these Doritos into solid greens, you know, as, as they go down, my, as they go down my, my, into my stomach. Please make them healthy. Um, says Henri- or, says Hendrickson, he'll ask God to save his soul. However, he neglects to use the means of grace, such as the study of Scripture, church attendance, the sacraments, living a life for the benefit of others to the glory of God, again, Someone will plead with the Lord for the spiritual as well as physical welfare of his children. You pray for your children, but he himself neglects to bring them up in the way of the Lord. A church member, says Hendrickson, admonished because at a circus he had eagerly rushed into a corrupt sideshow, defended himself by saying, I can't deny that I went there, but while I was there I was constantly praying, Lord, turn away my eyes from beholding vanity. You shall not put the Lord your God the test, says Hendrickson, is the answer to all this. So those first two attempts fail, but again, a third temptation quickly of the devil here in verses eight and nine. He does not stop. He comes again. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these I'll give you, all these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. If you will fall down, and all these I will give you, kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give you, says the devil, the liar from the beginning, I will give you kingdoms of this world. If only you bow down and worship me and acknowledge me as king. And friends, here is where, here is, of course, this is where, this is where you know, maybe you might have thought in the first temptation, the second temptation, you know, Satan's trying to be sly and, and subtle. And uh, But now the, uh, you know, his, his, his mask comes off completely. This is what it's all about. This is, this is what he's really after. He wants worship. He wants what belongs to Jesus. He wants your service. He wants your love. He wants your adoration. He wants you and I to bow to him. That is, to do his bidding and don't think, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I'm in a Reformed Presbyterian church. I would, I would never do that. I mean, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because why? Well, uh, you have in mind, said Jesus to Peter, you have in mind the things of men rather than the things of God. And in that, in so doing, said Jesus to Peter, that's doing the bidding of Satan. To not think of God's things first, but man's things. Remember, and Peter was saying, You don't need to go to the cross, you don't need to die for sinners. Well, that's man's thinking, said Jesus. Satan loves that. He doesn't want me to go to the cross to die uh, for my people. Elsewhere, Jesus will say, of course, my kingdom is not of this world. That is, my kingdom does not find its origin here in the world of sinful men. It's from above. It is a holy kingdom and is not of the world, but it certainly, in the Bible, it certainly comes to this world. It invades this world, and it conquers this world. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray to the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells us to pray that our heart's desire would be to see the will of God done here as it is done there. That is the kingdom coming. Men are rescued, we're told in the scripture, from the domain of the devil and brought into the kingdom of light. Friends, the devil is presenting himself here as an alternative king with an alternative, uh, uh, alternative kingdom, pretending an alternative authority with an alternative use of the Bible like the shadow cabinet in the United Kingdom. There is a leader of the opposition. I don't know if you've ever watched uh, you know, on cable or something like that or are streaming somewhere. You ever watch a session of Parliament on BBC? It's pretty amazing, especially when the Prime Minister comes to speak. It's chaos. Um, it's absolute chaos. The Prime Minister can barely get a couple sentences or, or words together before the opposition is interrupting. They're, they're shouting him down from across across the way, uh, calling for his removal And in the shadow kingdom of the devil, there is questioning and challenging the legitimate government, all the while the devil presenting an alternative government in waiting. He wants to be king. He wants worship. This is his goal in all these temptations. And really, well, what's the temptation here? It's actually really amazing. The devil is saying that he's offering to Jesus authority and power over the kingdoms of the world. He seems to be offering him influence and popularity. He's offering him a place of prominence in the world, but again, Jesus responds with a clear word from God. It's written, says Jesus, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, and Jesus' response is clear. There's no hesitation. He knows the will of God, and so he recognizes this temptation for what it is, this appeal to power and authority and glory in a way that the Father has not chosen it to be. The temptation of worshiping self instead of worshiping God, and again, to seek glory without the cross. That's what Satan's really saying. I can give you the kingdoms of this world, and you don't have to go to the cross. I can give you all these things. You don't have to walk in the way of obedience to your Father. I can give you all that you're really seeking. All you have to do is, uh, is, um, is serve me instead of your father. Jesus answers this temptation with, again, a rebuke of the devil. And he says, there's only one. There's only one who is worthy of worship. There's only one who's worthy of service, says Jesus, and it's not, uh, it's not you. Your alternative kingdom, your shadow kingdom, your shadow authority has no right to existence You are a usurper. Uh, You are offering stolen goods. right? Imagine someone coming to you and saying, oh, if you do this, I will give you all this. But, But you know actually that everything they're planning to give you, they've stolen. Satan doesn't own anything. He is a usurper. He has nothing to give because he owns nothing. You see, you are not worthy of service or worship, says Jesus. You are a rebel. And then Jesus says this, Be gone, Satan. Now notice he doesn't use the word diabolos, which means devil. Here he uses the word Satan, which means be gone, adversary. You're not fooling me. You're my adversary. You're opposed to all that's good and right and holy. You're not for me. You're against me. Be gone. Jesus uh, commands Satan. Jesus is king. Jesus has authority. Uh, The devil has no authority. Receives no worship. And no service from the Lord Jesus. Friends, unlike Jesus, who was quick to respond to these temptations of the devil with a sound rebuke from the Word of God by which he lived, remember, every word, um, so often we say maybe to sin instead of no to sin, leaving the option open for us to say yes uh, down the road. Uh, But then we're really not resisting the temptation before us. We're like the person trying to get rid of a salesman on the doorstep without saying a firm no and closing the door. You ever have this? I have this. Uh, I, I just don't want to be rude, you know? But I'm not going to buy what you're selling. Um, but I listen, and I listen, and then halfway into the conversation, you're thinking, oh, maybe I do need this. Uh, oh, maybe I, uh, maybe I should talk to my wife. Oh, no, oh maybe she, oh, she'll like it. Uh, and and uh, you don't close the door. There's no firm no. Um, though we say we're not interested in buying Satan's product, sin, We leave the door ajar and continue to discuss the tempting aspects of the product. We leave open the possibility for the devil to make a sale. And the longer we stand at the door, the longer we hesitate, the longer we admire the product, the more tempted we are to think that we need it, or worse, we buy it anyway just to avoid saying no. So while we may have opened the door confident we would never be taken in by this salesman, the conversation ends with you having bought a vacuum cleaner you don't need. To resist temptation, we must say a firm no and be gone and shut the door. He is friends, as Jesus called him, our adversary. He is not our, our friend. How long would you hold the door open to a snarling, rabid pit bull? You know, you wouldn't do that if you actually saw him for what he is seeking to devour. He may offer power and glory and kingdoms of this world, but he is the deceiver, a usurper, and he's seeking your death and destruction. And like the troll who may invite you to dinner, he's not interested in sharing a meal with you. He's interested in making you the meal. Right? And so James will write, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Well, the devil... Obey's Jesus, because again, Jesus is the king. Begone, Satan. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and, and were ministering uh, to him. The same angels who minister to us, the Bible says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? How is that? Well, the Bible doesn't say how they ministered to him, but only uh, that they did. No doubt, no doubt, food for the Savior, who was hungry after 40 days. And we praise God for that. But Luke adds this in his account of this temptation. He adds, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until until an opportune, I'm losing my voice, until an opportune time. That is, the devil wasn't finished uh, with Jesus. He would be back and we notice that in the, uh, in the temptation that uh, Peter comes to Jesus and wants to have him to avoid the cross, uh, and Jesus rebukes him. And then on the cross itself, as Jesus is dying for sinners, the crowd says, well, if you are the Son of God, you know, come down, uh, save yourself. Uh, Satan would be back. But friends, unlike Adam... In the garden, throughout all these temptations here we read, and all the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil, but then the the, the mask comes off for the devil and he just wants worship. But in the face of it all, friends, unlike Adam in the garden, Jesus is faithful. He is faithful. He responds every time uh, with uh, the word of God. And this is uh, of vital importance for us, that Jesus stands here faithful in the wilderness against all the wiles of the devil, because Romans 5 will say this, therefore as one trespass, that is Adam and Eve, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's Obedience, the many, will be made righteous. See, if Jesus didn't respond faithfully to Satan, you and I would have no hope. If Jesus didn't respond with the Word of God, every time Satan came, he would have sinned. He would not have been righteous. He would not have been obedient to the Father He would not have been the spotless, blameless Lamb of God who would offer himself in your place. And he would not be the righteous one who gives us his righteousness as he takes our sin upon himself. And so as we stand with Jesus, as we walk with Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew, here we come to see Jesus, unlike the first Adam, as the last Adam, faithful, faithful to the Lord, faithful to his Father, despite all the wiles and ways of the devil. But we know the devil would return. And friends, he returns not only to Jesus, but he returns to us as well. And when he does, uh, we need to again look to our our Savior in all these things and to take our stand uh, on that word uh, by which we live, so that we would have an answer when the evil one whispers these things in our ears. Trust in yourself. Seek the glory I can provide. You don't need to trust in your Father that we might respond to him as Jesus did with the word of the Lord. May it be so uh, for God's glory uh, and for our good. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this glorious passage of Scripture. Lord, it's so helpful for us to see the, uh, the schemes of the, the evil one. Lord, we know that it's only a work of your grace and by your Spirit that you help us and convict us that the evil one even exists. We know, Lord, that it is his great, greatest deception of all to convince us we need not uh, be concerned with such a one. But indeed, Lord, you have told us that though he is defeated... Uh, that though He has been destroyed and His works destroyed at the cross, because Jesus has faithfully obeyed the Father, even to the point of death, rescuing us from sin and Satan and hell, that even though all of that is true, He yet flounders around the earth and still seeks to devour us, to lead us away from God, to lead us away from trusting in You and in every word that proceeds from Your mouth. Help us, dear Lord, to recognize His tactics. Help us, Lord, to see His schemes. And help us, Lord, then to be ready uh, to give an answer for the hope that is in us. Ready to give an answer to the one who would lead us astray from the Father's will. Ready to give an answer to one who sought to uh, derail the mission of the Savior, the mission of the King, the coming of His kingdom, but failed because Jesus is faithful. Help us, Lord, then to rejoice in our Savior tonight, that he is the faithful one, he is the righteous one, and he has defeated sin and death and Satan, that we might live through him. May it be so. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.